السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners Once again we gather for the monthly tafsir of the Holy Quran <coughs> As announced, today's surah is Surah Al-Adiyat, which is the hundredth surah of the Qur'an. And having started from the end of the Qur'an, we've completed the (coughs) other surahs leading up to this. It's a verse of, sorry, it's a surah of just 11 verses, Surah Al-Adiyat. And... It covers three main topics, which are all interconnected, and I will elaborate in a moment. But just to go through the simple translation of the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, By the charges, panting, Then those who ignite sparks فَالْمُغِيرَاتِ subha Than those who attack in the morning فَأَثَرُنَ بِهِ نَقْعَ Than who thereby raise dust فَوَسَطْنَ بِهِ جَمْعَ then who thereby cleave an army. Indeed, man is extremely ungrateful to his Lord. And indeed, he is over this, a witness. وَإِنَّهُ لِحُبِّ الْخَيْرِ لَشَدِيدٌ And indeed he is in the, wealth, in the love of wealth, intense. أَفَلَا يَعْلَمُ إِذَا بُعْثِرَ مَا فِي الْقُبُورِ Does he not know? Or does he not realize? When that which is in the graves will be scattered, 
وَحُصِّلَ مَا فِي الصُّدُورِ And that which is in the bosoms will be extracted. إِنَّ رَبَّهُمْ بِهِمْ يَوْمَئِذٍ لَخَبِيرٍ Indeed, their Lord on that day will be surely aware of them or knowing of them. This is a simple translation of the verses. There are three main topics which are all interconnected. In the first five verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of horses in battle. Then in the next three verses, Allah speaks about man's extremely ungrateful nature and his passionate and intense love of wealth. As well as the transgression and the violence and the sin that this love of wealth itself causes. And the fact that man man does all of this knowingly. That his conscience nags at him. It pricks him. It warns him. Deep down, man knows his true nature. And then finally, in the, fi- in the last three verses, Allah speaks of the day of reckoning and the hereafter. The time of resurrection. The time when people will emerge from their graves and the secrets of the earth shall be thrown out and cast out when the earth will regurgitate its secrets and its treasures and when even the innermost secrets of the heart will be extracted in their entirety and on that day of judgment and reckoning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now and will be then fully aware of man's deeds. But on that occasion, Allah will produce man's deeds before himself and before the creation. So these are the three main topics. And inshallah, we'll go through them in order. And they are connected. But let's look at the first five verses first. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, By those who charge, pant. Adiyat refers to horses who charge. Fast running, and not just fast running, but charging horses. These are known, this is what's referred to by the word Al-Adiyat. And the surah name has been taken from this very first word, Wal-Adiyat, by the charging horses. Now, here in these first five verses, Allah speaks of horses in a particular state, in a particular condition, which is at the time of battle. 
And a swift translation of these five verses will depict a very violent, startling, frightening picture. Till the end. That by the panting charges who strike who ignite sparks of fire, who suddenly attack at dawn, and thereby at the time of dawn they throw up and raise clouds of dust. And charging, they penetrate the ranks of the enemy. And the words are, They cleave this army into two. Now, all of this happens in battle. And we may not have... We may have seen depictions of this in pictures and images and movies, etc. And it, it is an awe-inspiring spectacle. I remember about three or four years ago, all, all my life I had heard of I had read accounts and seen images and pictures of charging horses. But three or four years ago, I was at a, I went for a walk near a farm. And the farmer was riding his horse at a gallop, charging, well, not charging, but just... Uh, Riding the horse quite fast, and I was in I was in the field, and I saw him coming from a distance, and I stopped. I was alone, and I was watching. Allahu Akbar! When I saw that horse coming in my direction, and he rode past me, this was just a farm animal. It wasn't a racer. It wasn't a battle horse. It wasn't a charger. It was quite heavy and stocky. But as he rode past me, whatever I had heard about and read about and understood and perceived of a charging horse or a racing horse, and even seen it on screen in images and pictures, nothing had prepared me for that close-up look of a running horse. I wouldn't even say a racing horse or a charging horse. So one can just imagine being in the midst of battle. With these steeds specifically prepared for battle and charging fearlessly in the manner that Allah describes here. Panting, charging, their hooves and horseshoes striking up sparks and igniting sparks of fire on their repeated contact with the ground. Throwing up dust in the morning. For Allah says that for Subha, those who suddenly attack in the morning and penetrate the ranks of the enemy and throw up clouds of dust. That is the image which the Arabs were quite used to. 
the Arabs being a tribal society were, were fearsome warriors. Very loose in their structure and organisation. But they were fearsome warriors. And they prided themselves on their courage and valour. So, by those horses that pant when they charge, who ignite sparks of fire, and who attack in the morning, it, was always, it had always been customary in battle, and in fact it remains so, for various reasons, that armies would attack each other, or launch attacks, or fight an open battle, especially in the morning and at the crack of dawn. So this whole imagery of horses in battle, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually swears by these horses. Just as throughout the Qur'an he swears by many objects of his own creation, of his creation, the sun, the moon, the sky, even man, even man's soul. Well, man's soul, the sun, the moon, stars. So here Allah Azza wa Jal swears by these war horses in this particular state when they charge in battle, throwing up dust, sparks, fearlessly charging into the enemy, cleaving the whole multitude of the opposing forces and dividing the whole army with such courage, valour and fearlessness. So Allah swears by them. After having sworn by such a major thing, what is the statement that Allah makes pending such an oath? The statement is, Indeed, verily, man is surely extremely ungrateful to his Lord. An interesting question here. What connection does the the first set of verses have with the statement? What's the connection between the oath of these war battle steeds, these war horses, these charging courses, igniting sparks of fire and throwing up dust and penetrating the ranks of the enemy and cleaving uh, a multitude of forces? What connection does this imagery have with the fact that man is ungrateful to Allah? It's very simple. Let's take a look at these horses. A horse is a mighty, strong, sturdy, beautiful and graceful, intelligent animal. It is not dumb. It is highly intelligent. It is fast, intelligent, graceful, beautiful, attractive, prepossessing, strong and sturdy, mighty, resilient. That's one single horse. And as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Subhanallah, the Sahara Lena Hada, Wama Kuna, the Humukrini, 
In the Qur'an, Allah speaks, addressing people. That, so that you can sit astride these animals, and so that you can say when you mount them to ride for transport, this is a dua, this is a sunnah, prescribed dua for traveling. That glory be to that Allah who has made this, this animal, this beast, subservient to us. And we were not ones to make this animal compliant and subservient to us at all. And indeed we are surely to return to our Lord. That is a sunnah dua. Because if you look at this animal, let's just focus on the horse itself. As I said, it's intelligent, it's mighty, it's beautiful, it's graceful, it's strong and sturdy. It can outrun any man. It can outpace any man, by far. No giant of a man, or even a group of men, can actually control a horse. If it wishes to be resisting and resilient. One kick of a horse could kill a man. If the horse wishes, it could buck and throw any experienced rider off in an instant. And trample him to death. And yet... Allah has made these animals so subservient, so compliant, that man sits astride them, rides them, loads them with weight, luggage and baggage, uses them for transport. And these animals are compliant and subservient. It is only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has made these animals compliant and subservient to man. Without Allah's will and tawfiq, man would not have been able to achieve this. And the relationship between man and horse is such, and this is the description here, that what does man do for a horse? The most he ever does is feed it, fodder, grass which he himself has not created. He feeds it fodder and grass, a treat every now and then, if that. Man gives the horse... Food, fodder, drink, water, pats it, cleans it, and gives it shelter. And just for these few favours, which hardly cost man anything, which do not take up so much of his time, for these few favours, that horse becomes Totally compliant, servile, subservient. Bidding the command of its master, the horse, this beautiful, graceful, intelligent, strong and sturdy animal, treats this individual who is a total stranger, who feeds it, waters it, cleans it, pats it and shelters it. That horse gives itself over and submits to this person treats him like a master, and is willing to be humiliated, ridden, mounted, 
used for transport, even beaten and whipped. And yet the horse will not make a single exclamation in despair, in ingratitude, or of a complaint. So much so that when man rides the horse, mounts it, heavy, laden with armour, and rides into battle, when man, when this horse waits in the ranks with the other horses and with the rest of the cavalry, and this animal sees the other steeds prepared for war, it knows that it's been prepared for war and battle. It sees these heavily armed, armoured, armour-laden soldiers and riders on these horses when it smells the dust of war, when it can smell the stink and the stench of tension and fear in the air, when it knows that it is going to be hurling headlong into battle and possible death, when it knows that it will be exposed to all manner of artillery, armaments, weapons, spears, arrows, or whatever, projectiles, when it knows all of this, and when the horse knows that it is defenceless, it is at the mercy of its rider. And the rider has one purpose alone, to fight, to kill, to be killed or to survive, but no consideration for the horse. The horse is merely an instrument, a tool. The animal knows all of this, and yet simply because this rider, this master, has given it grass and water, grass which grew from the earth and water which fell from the heavens, the horse submits. The horse accepts and is willing to charge into battle and die for the sake of this master. And that's the imagery portrayed in these first few verses. By the charging, panting horses who ignite sparks of fire. Why sparks of fire? Because that's the severity and the intensity and the rigour and vigour with which these horses charge into battle so fearlessly that on the way they strike and ignite sparks of fire. That's the speed. And then those who attack a thorough, sudden charge and attack in the morning with such intensity, with such violence that they throw up clouds of dust. Normally in the morning there's no dust. In the cloud, they throw up clouds of dust and they penetrate the ranks of the enemy, cleaving the whole enemy and the multitude of the forces and splitting them. Because that's what cavalry normally does. The sudden clash. The horses will accept all of this and be willing to die simply because a rider has fed the same horse, the grass that grew from the earth and watered it with the water that fell from the heavens. And yet, in contrast, Allah says, by the charging horses that pant, by the, char- by the panting chargers, those who strike up and ignite sparks of fire, 
those who suddenly attack in the morning and thereby throw up clouds of dust, and those who penetrate the ranks of the enemy. Indeed, man is extremely ungrateful to his Lord. The connection, look at this horse, and how servile, how how compliant, how grateful it is, because of grass and water, and in contrast, look at man. What has Allah not given man? Just grass and fodder and water from the heavens. Allah has given man greater intelligence than the animal. Allah has given man higher intelligence than any beast. Allah has elevated man over and above all beasts. In fact, Allah has made these powerful beasts subservient to the will and the command of man. Allah has made man the most honoured of his whole creation. Of his whole creation. And Allah has created man for a particular purpose. Allah wishes... To return man to his original abode of Jannah. Allah has given so much to man. And yet, despite receiving more from Allah than any beast has received from man, man is far more ungrateful to Allah than any beast can be to man. That's about Allah saying, Indeed, man is extremely ungrateful to his Lord. Kanud means extremely ungrateful. And we are ungrateful. Man is most ungrateful. There are many verses of the Quran that describe man's ingratitude. In one verse, إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ خُلِقَ هَلُوعًا إِذَا مَسَّهُ الشَّرُّ جَزُوعًا وَإِذَا مَسَّهُ الْخَيْرُ مَنُوعًا Verily man has been created halur, intemperate. When misfortune befalls him, he is extremely panicky. And when good fortune meets him, he is extremely stingy and niggardly and tight-fisted. This is man's relationship with Allah. Man uses Allah. Allah says, وَلَيْنْ أَذَقْنَ الْإِنسَانَ مِنَّا رَحْمَةً ثُمَّ نَزَعْنَاهَا مِنْ إِنَّهُ لَيُؤُوسٌ كَفُورٌ وَلَئِنْ أَذَقْنَاهُ نَعْمَاءَ بَعْدَ الضَّرَّاءَ مَسَّتُ لَيَقُولَنَّ ذَهْبَ السَّيِّئَاتُ عَنِّي إِنَّهُ لَفَرِحٌ فَخُورٌ If we give man a taste of mercy from ourselves, then we take away that mercy from him. Indeed, he is extremely despairing and despondent, ungrateful. And if we give him a taste of some good fortune after some misfortune that has befallen him, then he surely says, 
All evils have departed from me. Then he is exultant, arrogant, and boastful. This is the meaning of that man is intemperate. In another verse, man has been created with a temperament of haste. Very rash, very impetuous. Lacking self-control. Intemperate. Always going to extremes. And that's why Allah describes halu' so beautifully. خُلِقَ الْإِنسَانُ هَلُوعًا Man has been created halu' intemperate. إِذَا مَسَّهُ الشَّرُّ جَزُوعًا When misfortune befalls him, he is extremely panic. He panics. But when good fortune meets him, manu'a, he becomes niggardly and stingy. In another verse, وَإِذَا أَذَقْنُ الْإِنسَانَ مِنْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذَا مَسَّ الْإِنسَانَ الضُرُّ دَعَانَا لِجَنْبِهِ أَوْ قَاعِدًا أَوْ قَائِمًا فَلَمَّا كَشَّفْنَا عَنْهُ ضُرَّهُ مَرَّكَ أَلَّمْ يَدْعُنَا إِلَى ضُرٍ مَسَّهُ كَذَلِكَ زُيِّنِ الْمُسْرِفِينَ مَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ Allah says, and when misfortune or calamity touches man, he calls out to us lying on his side, or sitting, or standing. Then when we remove his misfortune and calamity from him, he passes by in front of us as though he never ever called out to us. In this way, have the deeds, in this way, have the deeds of the transgressors been beautified and ornamented for. What all of these verses show is that man has a very fickle relationship with his creator. And what's the nature of that fickle relationship? It's a very selfish one, even with Allah. That when misfortune befalls man, man panics, despairs, becomes despondent. And in that panic, and in that despondency, in that despair, man turns to Allah. And frantically and fretfully prays to Allah. But this turning to Allah, this prayer, this devotion, these supplications are all very selfish. They are insincere. For all man wants is not the love of Allah or to offer true devotion to Allah or to truly serve Allah. What man wants is for his panic to be addressed, for his fears to be alleviated, for his misfortune to be removed, for his calamity to be relieved of his suffering and calamity. And when that happens, when the goal has been achieved, when the, when the objective has been realized, then Allah is dispensed with and discarded just like man dispenses with and discards anything or anyone that is no longer of use to him. Then when good fortune meets man, what does Allah describe him as being? Manur, stingy, niggardly and tight-fisted. No longer wishes to share and spend. He becomes exultant and arrogant. In that other verse, he, he exclaims in joy, 
All evils have departed from me. This is how intemperate man is. On the one hand, man, when one small thing happens to man, man forgets all of Allah's favours and becomes panicky and despondent and despairing. It's like that one pain, that one sorrow, that one single loss is the loss of the whole world. And every other good vanishes from man's memory. But then, this is how intemperate man is. How impetuous. But then, as soon as good fortune meets man, it's almost as though all his sorrows and worries have gone. And as Allah says, He, he exclaims, ذَهَبَ السَّيِّئَاتُ عَنِّي All ills have departed from me. إِنَّهُ لَفَرِحٌ فَخُورٌ But he doesn't say that in gratitude. He says that because he is intemperate, impetuous, unable to control himself. His sorrow takes him to one extreme, and then his joy takes him to the other, uh, to the other extreme. When his joy takes him to the other extreme, what does he do? إِنَّهُ لَفَرِحٌ فَخُورٌ Allah says, he becomes boastful, exultant, strutting about in Arabic. No balance, no moderation whatsoever. This is the meaning of خُلِقَ الْإِنسَانُ هَلُوعًا Man has been created halur. This is how ungrateful man is. All of these verses are related to this one verse. إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لِرَبِّهِ لَكَنُودٍ Indeed, man is extremely ungrateful to his Lord. And in fact, Imam al-Hasan al one of the most famous tabi'een, he used to say that the meaning of ganud, he gave a very specific definition of ganud. He said, ganud doesn't just mean ungrateful. Ganud is, is the definition or the identification of that person who is forever complaining. Never has good to say. So, is always complaining of misfortune, of ills, of suffering. And never sees good in anything. Ganud is the forever grumbling, complaining, frustrated, sad individual, the pessimist who sees no good in anything. That's the meaning of Ganud according to Imam al Hassan al Basri, Rahmatullahi alayhi. But all of these definitions fall into the single word, which is man is extremely ungrateful to Allah. And the whole theme of this surah is very similar to other surahs that are close by. We did Surah Al-Ma'un a few weeks ago. Sorry, a few months ago. And in there... Well, I'll, I'll reference that later. Let's go through this surah first. So, the first thing, Indeed, man is extremely ungrateful to his Lord. Then the next thing which Allah mentions, and which is connected, one of the reasons for his ingratitude is his love of wealth. But before we go on to that, the next verse says, وَإِنَّهُ عَلَى ذَلِكَ لَشَهِيدٌ Indeed, man is extremely ungrateful to his Lord. And indeed, he is over this a sure witness. Meaning, man is a witness to his own ingratitude. And that's in two ways. One, well, the main, the main reason is 
two, two things. He may say he is grateful to Allah. How is man a witness against himself over his own ingratitude? Two ways. Number one, externally. How? By tongue he may say that I am grateful. And he may even offer words of praise and gratitude and shukr to Allah. But the reality of his deeds belies the claim of his words. He claims by tongue to be grateful to Allah, yet his deeds and his actions belie him and prove the contrary, that in fact man is ungrateful to Allah. By deed. There are many ways of this being a testimony against him. Because the way man behaves... If he was truly grateful to Allah, he would not behave in that manner. He would be far more serving to Allah. He would be compliant and subservient to the commands of Allah. Just like the beasts are to men for simply feeding them and watering them. So man's misdeeds are proof of his ingratitude. Also... Shukr, gratitude, and ingratitude is also a reference to the way and the manner in which a favour is used. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given man intelligence, sense, faculties, strength, these limbs of the body. Now if man uses these things, these senses, these faculties, these gifts of intelligence, of sight, of hearing, of speech, <clears throat> Allah, if man uses this as heart and this mind and this body, in the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that would be a sign of gratitude in itself. But if man abuses these gifts of Allah, then regardless of whether man is expresses gratitude verbally or doesn't. The misuse and the abuse of the gifts of Allah is an extreme form of ingratitude in itself. Failure to use the gifts of Allah for their designated purpose is an act of ingratitude in itself. It may be a very crude example, but let's say one individual goes to great lengths to purchase a gift, a very valuable gift for another person. Let's say they got the purchased uh, a £2,000 laptop for someone. Now they, that's very expensive. They actually went to great lengths to earn that money, acquire that money and purchase it. And their intention was that this person will use it. It's not a throwaway gift. This is for permanent use, for enduring, lasting use, for many years to come. And the trouble that they have gone through, they purchase a laptop with the intention of gifting it and their intention is that the person will use it. The person will use it for good. The person will remember them every time they use it. 
This will be their means and method of communication, interaction. A laptop is something they will use for work, for personal use, for social use, for many hours each day. Every site of the laptop, every use, every key pressed, every time it's touched and carried, will remind the person of the one who gifted it. And will create that bond and love. That's what... That's the intention of the individual. Now imagine they give that gift of a laptop to someone and the person, for whatever reason, puts it away. Never uses it. Even worse, gives it away to someone else. Imagine they give it away to someone else. So A gives it to B. For all these intentions, B then gives it to C, and tries to win and acquire all the love of C that A wanted of B. Imagine if the first person found out that this is what they have done with my hard-earned gift. Their hopes have been dashed. Their dreams have been shattered. Everything that they have hoped for, aspired to, has been lost. Imagine the pain. Before they wanted to acquire their love, now they would probably become so bitter they would wish to inflict pain on them. Human nature. It's no good, but human nature. Imagine if what means more to the one who has gifted this? A single word of thanks? Oh, thank you, you shouldn't have. Or the knowledge that the person is indeed using it for the purpose for which it was gifted. What matters more? A single expression of gratitude? Meaningless verbal thanks? Oh, thank you, you really shouldn't have. Or the knowledge that indeed the person is using it for the reason it was gifted. That's between one human being and another. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given so many gifts and bestowed so many favours upon man. Every one of those favours has been gifted to man and bestowed on him with a design and with a purpose and for designated use and for an objective. Every time man fails to use that gift for the purpose that Allah created it and bestowed it on him, Every time man abuses that gift for the wrong use, that is of an actual and physical and more meaningful expression of ingratitude to Allah. And that's why Allah says, on the day of judgment, in the sun'a wal basara wal fu'ad, kullu ulaika kana anhu mas'ula, that man will be questioned about hearing and sight, and the heart on the day of reckoning. If anything, these limbs, man will be made to fall silent, and the limbs will testify against man himself. Each morning, it's a hadith of Tirmidhi, Each morning when man wakes up, the limbs of the body plead with the tongue of man. 
and say, if you are str- we are as you are, if you are straight, we are straight, and if you are bent, we are bent. Each limb has a purpose. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given it for, for a reason. It should be used for that. If it isn't, it's ingratitude. So, Indeed, man is a witness against himself over his ingratitude. And this is, I said there were two forms of him being a witness. How is he a witness against himself over his ingratitude? This is in two ways. The first way is this. That his deeds and his limbs belie his verbal expression of, of gratitude. And the second reason is inside. One is external, one is internal. How is he internally a witness against himself? Externally, he is a witness against himself over his ingratitude by his misdeeds and by the fact that he is not using the favours of Allah in the right manner. And internally, deep down, in the deepest, innermost recesses of one's mind, in the deepest chambers of one's heart, there is that nagging voice of conscience. A voice that tells us, that you are wrong. You are ungrateful. If man was to be humble and meditate and contemplate his own actions and deeds and be sincere and not be self-justifying, man is a witness against himself over his ingratitude to Allah. Deep down, every one of us knows this. This is why Allah says, وَإِنَّهُ عَلَىٰ ذَلِكَ And indeed, he is a witness against himself over this. Then Allah says, وَإِنَّهُ لِحُبِّ الْخَيْرِ لَشَدِيدٍ And indeed, he is, in his love of wealth, severe. They are connected. Why is man ungrateful? One of the main reasons is because of his love of wealth. Man can never get enough of wealth. Man always thinks he has too little. So when you think you haven't got what you want, that's when you will hanker after more. That's when you will feel that you've got nothing to be grateful about. What do I have to be grateful about? I haven't got the million that I wanted. When Allah gives you the million, what do I have to be grateful about? I haven't got the scores of millions that I need, not even wanted, but need. When Allah gives man scores of millions, man is still ungrateful. I mentioned this before, not now, this is a good few years ago. I read an article which said that <clears throat> in one is no longer considered rich. If a person is a millionaire, and they spoke to and surveyed many people, <clears throat> the new mark of wealth, this was a good few years ago, the new mark of wealth is over a hundred million. So you're not considered wealthy or rich until you have more than a hundred million. When a person has hundreds of a hundred million, still not rich, hundreds of millions, then a billionaire. And the billionaires aren't happy either. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the most concise 
the most succinct, the most comprehensive, all-encompassing words of wisdom after the book of Allah and the speech of Allah. No speech can match or parallel the speech of Rasulullah He says, That I have been granted all-encompassing, comprehensive, succinct words. Decisive speech. And his description is beautiful. We only have to reflect on it. Forget billions. Forget hundreds of billions. Forget the time when we will see the first trillionaire. Forget all of this. The most precious commodity, or one of the most precious commodities known to man, is gold. And we measure gold in ounces and in grams. We have scales of gold that are minute. And look at the price of gold at the moment. And what does the Prophet ﷺ say? And how does he describe man's covetous nature? Man's covetousness. His greed. His insatiable greed. His dissatisfaction regardless of how much he has. Imam Bukhari relates... From Abdullah ibn Zubayr radiallahu anhu, the narrator says, We heard Abdullah ibn Zubayr radiallahu anhu say on the member that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to say, Law u'ti ibn Adam wadiyam mal'am min dhahbin. Ahabba ilayhi thaniya. وَلَوْ أُعْطِيَ ثَانِيًا أَحَبِّ إِلَيْهِ ثَالِثًا وَلَا يُصِدُّ جَوْفَ ابْنِ آدَمَ إِلَّا التُّرَابُ وَيَتُوبُ اللَّهُ عَلَى مَنْ If man was given a valley filled with gold, he would desire a second valley. And if he was given a second valley of gold, he would desire a third. And nothing will fill the vacuum in man except the dust of the earth. And Allah relents in repentance to one who turns to Allah in repentance. I.e., there is no cure for this disease except the dust of the earth. This is a disease. This insatiable greed. We measure gold in ounces and grams. And look at the imagery of the Prophet ﷺ's words. Look at the depiction. Imagine. Ounces of gold, grams, nuggets, gold bars, trays, crates of trays. Progress. Look at it in progression. From ounces, from grams to ounces, ounces to higher measurements to a single bar. Then from a single bar to a tray of bars of gold. Then a crate of trays of bars of gold. And then entire pallets. And then not just trays and crates and pallets, but a whole vault. Imagine a whole vault full of gold. And then imagine not one or two vaults, but vaults in the side of a mountain. Then forget the vaults in the side of the mountain. Imagine the entire valley between two mountains. Full of gold. If man had that, he would still desire a second. And if he was given a second, he would still desire a third. 
What can cure that greed? What can fill that greed? Man thinks, man has a vacuum inside him. This is the meaning of what I saw the Jawf ibn Adam, that there's the inner vacuum of man. Nothing can fill that. Nothing. The only thing that can fill that vacuum in man is at-turab, the dust of the earth. And when will that happen? As Allah says, al-hakumu takathur, rivalry, one-upmanship has distracted you, and this will continue, hatta until zurtumul maqabir, you visit the graves. Only when you visit the graves and the dust of the earth will fill that vacuum and space in you, will man, man's insatiable greed, come to an end. Man's love of wealth is intense. And this is the reason for his ingratitude. Man always thinks, I haven't got enough. I need more. He doesn't just want it, he, he thinks he needs it. And who makes him think that? Shaytan. And why does he make him think that? It's in the Quran. The devil threatens you with poverty. The reason man desires wealth and hankers after wealth, is not for now, it's for the future. It's always for the future. It's never for now. It's always for the future. This is why Allah says, shaitan threatens you with poverty. Your poverty isn't now. Shaitan threatens you with poverty in the future. We're always hoarding and planning and looking ahead. Planning for the future. And it's never enough. If you notice, whatever good we intend to do, it's always contingent on acquiring wealth. And we have many euphemisms for that. So if we, if you speak, well, if we speak to ourselves, we're always thinking and saying that, inshallah, I will do this good. I will start that. I will do this. I will do that. But when all good and all future good projects and all noble deeds are contingent on becoming Financially secure, stable, settling down, earning enough. These are all euphemisms for hoarding wealth in the future. But one can never be too financially secure. One can never really be settled down. This becoming financially secure and settling down and acquiring enough wealth and being at peace, being content, none of this will ever happen. None of it. And this will continue till man reaches a grave. And this is why when the Prophet ﷺ was recited Surah Al-Takathur, his words are so beautiful, Allahu Akbar. The philosophy of the world and the psychology of the human mind and the secrets of man's character can all be found in one place in the simple words of Rasulullah ﷺ. The greatest truths are the simplest. And look at this beautiful description. Prophet ﷺ, Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi, relates a hadith recorded by, well, he relates a hadith from Abdullah ibn Shikhir radiallahu anhu says, I visited the Prophet ﷺ. When I visited him, he was reciting Surah Al-Takathur, Al-Hakum Al-Takathur, Hatta Zurtum Al-Maqabir, till the end. When he finished, Prophet said, Yaqul ibn Adam, 
Mali, Mali. Man says, my wealth, my wealth. Qal, then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, وَهَلْ لَكَ يَبْنَ آدَمٍ مَالِكَ إِلَّا مَا أَكَلْتَ فَأَفْنَيْتَ أَوْ لَبِسْتَ فَأَبْلَيْتَ أَوْ تَصَدَّقْتَ فَأَمْضَيْتَ Man says, my wealth, the son of Adam says, my wealth, my wealth. But oh man, do you have any wealth in reality? What do you have any of your wealth? Do you really possess any of your wealth? Except what you have eaten and therefore expired. Or what you have worn and then therefore have worn out. Or what you have given in charity and therefore sent ahead for yourself. And these words are described even better by another hadith. Of Muslim again, Sahih Muslim, Imam Muslim rahmatullah, he relates from Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, يَقُولُ الْعَبْدُ مَالِي مَالِي The servant says of Allah, says my wealth, my wealth, إِنَّمَا لَهُ مِنْ مَالِهِ ثَلَاثِ In fact, of his wealth, he only has three things. مَا أَكَلَ فَأَفْنَى What he has eaten and therefore expired. أَوْ مَا لَبِسَ فَأَبْلَى Or what he has worn and therefore worn out. Or what he has given and therefore hoarded a treasure for himself in the hereafter. And whatever else is besides this, then he is about to depart and leave it all for the people. And the meaning of both these hadith, two hadith, is very simple. That whatever wealth we actually enjoy and possess, it's now or what we've already used. It's never for the future. And shaitan always threatens us with lack or loss of wealth in the future. No matter how rich we may be now. And we are all rich now. What's the meaning of whatever else is besides he is about to leave it for the people? It's very simple. No matter, you may have billions. What belongs to you is only what you have actually eaten. That was yours. You ate it, it nourished you, it gave you strength, it supplied you energy. You enjoyed its taste. It was yours. Its name was written for you. Your name was written on it. It was designated for you. That nourished you, that fed you. That was yours. It didn't nourish anybody else. And that has expired. Or what you've worn. You've worn a coat, you've worn it for 10 years. Now it's worn out. It's useless for anybody else. You've enjoyed 10 years of it. Yes, that's your wealth. How many coats can a person wear at one time? How many clothes can a person wear? How much food can one person eat at any one given time? And the third thing is, unless you give, give in charity then you have secured that reward for yourself. Everything else, your house, your assets, your possessions, your billions, your millions, all your wealth put together, which you lose sleep over, which you hanker after, which you fret over, which you are so anxious about, all of that, when you go, you are about to go, you're going to leave it behind for others to squabble over. That's the reality of wealth. And wealth does a lot... We don't have time to go into any of this, but I explained in Surah Al-Takathur and Surah Al-Ma'oon that wealth makes a person niggardly, tight-fisted. Not only that, wealth makes a person violent. Wealth makes a person 
disobedient to Allah. Wealth makes a person transgress. Wealth corrupts the mind and the character. It really does. There are many verses throughout the Qur'an. We don't have time to go through them. Refer to the tafsir of Surah Takathur especially. But to move on, Allah says, وَإِنَّهُ لِحُبِّ الْخَيْرِ الشديد. Indeed, man is passionate and intense in the love of wealth. And there's another meaning to this, that because of wealth, man is also intense and harsh and hard. Because wealth corrupts his character and his mind. And there are verses throughout the Qur'an that attest to this. And because of his love of wealth, he is ungrateful. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the third part of the surah which deals with the hereafter. Why, does it, why is man like this? Why is man so ungrateful? Why is he so passionate and intense in his love for wealth in this dunya? Is this dunya everlasting? No, far from it. Why doesn't he think ahead? If he wants to think ahead, if he wants to plan for the future, if he doesn't want to be caught out unaware, if he wants to look ahead, then let him look this far. Does he not realize that when that which is in the graves will become scattered, i.e. the occupants of the earth, the corpses of the earth will be thrown out by the graves. On the day of reckoning. The earth will reveal and expunge all its treasures, good and bad. On the day of reckoning. The earth will throw up all of its corpses. And the dead shall rise and they will be resurrected. Then they will stand before Allah in reckoning, in accountability and judgment. And not only will the earth reveal its treasures and its secrets, but man's heart will also reveal all of its secrets on that day. Even though man may be reluctant, the wording is very powerful. وَحُسِّلَ مَا فِي الصُّدُورِ Allah Azza wa says, and that which is in the bosoms, that which is in the hearts will be extracted. وحصل, it will be extracted. Despite the reluctance of man. Just as Allah mentions in another surah, يَوْمَ تُبْلَ السَّرَائِرُ On the day when the secret shall be revealed. وَحُسِّلَ مَا فِي الصُّدُورِ إِنَّ رَبَّهُمْ بِهِمْ يَوْمَ إِذِ الْخَبِيرِ Indeed their Lord is well aware of them, all knowing of them on that day. This brings us to the end of the surah. I'll just summarize again and explain the connection with Surah Al-Ma'un and Surah Al-Takathur. Many of the themes are similar, and it's actually quite connected to the surah before it, which we haven't done yet. إِذَا زُلْزِلَتِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا وَأَخْرَجَتِ الْأَرْضُ أَثْقَالَهَا وَقَالَ الْإِنسَانُ مَا لَهَا يَوْمَئِذٍ تُحَدِّثُ أَخْبَارَهَا بِأَنَّ رَبَّكَ أَوْحَا لَهَا يَوْمَئِذٍ يَسْتُرُ النَّاسُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when the earth shall be shaken, it's violent shaking. And when the earth shall cast out its weights, its burdens, 
And man will say, what is it with the earth? Why, why will man exclaim that? For on that day, the earth will speak of its tales. You know what the meaning of this is? One of the meanings of this is? On Yawmul Qiyamah, on the day of reckoning, man will want to conceal his misdeeds. But everyone and everything else will testify against him. His limbs will testify against him. The very spot of the earth on which he committed that sin will testify to Allah on Yawmul Qiyamah. The earth will speak. The limbs will be given a voice. Man will be silenced for a short while. On that day, people shall emerge from their graves in groups. Just as Allah says here, When that which is in the grave shall be scattered. Accountability. So whoever, doesn't, whoever has done an atom's weight of good will see its reward, and whoever's committed an atom's weight of sin will see its reward. The two surahs are well connected. And Surah Al-Ma'un, before, uh, Surah Al-Takathur, what does Surah Al-Takathur speak of? Man's blind love of wealth, and man's vying with other men, and people's one-upmanship, and rivalry in the wealth of the world, and that this continues till man visits the graves. Same thing here. وَإِنَّهُ لِحُبِّ الْخَيْرِ لَشَدِيدٍ That man is intense in his love of wealth. Why doesn't he look ahead? Allah mentions the graves again. And what does Allah say in Surah Al-Takathur at the end? ثُمَّ لَتُسَلُنَّ يَوْمَ إِذِنْ عَنِ النَّعِيمِ On that day, you will surely be questioned about the blessings of Allah. And here again, what does Allah say? In the insana lirabbihi, lakanud indeed man is ungrateful to Allah. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us gratitude. Imam Muslim rahmatullahi relates a hadith in his sahih. That one day the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came out and he saw Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhuma. Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhuma. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to them, what brings you out at this time? It was hot. At this time of the day, what brings you out? They both said, hunger, O Messenger of Allah. So the Prophet ﷺ said, by Allah, what has brought you out has brought me out to hunger. So he said, come. So the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Bakr and Umar went to an Ansari companion's home. They knocked and asked if he was in. He had gone out to get water for the family, but they were invited in. They sat. When the companion returned, he saw them, and he exclaimed, there is no one today who is more honoured by his guests than I am. I am the most honoured of all people for who are my guests. But he had no food. So the Prophet, so he, there was a knife, he picked up the knife, and the Prophet realised that he is about to go out and slaughter an animal. But what he did, before he picked up the knife, he went and he got some dates. Slightly raw, middle, and ripe, and soft, tender. Different ones, and he presented them. Then he got the knife, and he was about to depart from the house. The Prophet ﷺ saw that he's taking the knife, and he's about to slaughter an animal. And since he wasn't rich or wealthy, the Prophet ﷺ feared that he may, in honor of the Prophet and his guests, slaughter that animal which they normally use for milking. 
So the Prophet wasallam said, don't slaughter an animal that gives milk. Then he went out and he slaughtered uh, a goat or a lamb, a small animal. And then they ate. Hunger had driven them from their homes in the heat of the day. And this was their condition now. So when they ate, Prophet wasallam, having ate and having drank, he said to the other companions, to Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhumah, by that Allah in whose hands rest my soul, you will be questioned by Allah on the day of judgment about this favor, about this blessing. So they said, will we, Allah, be questioned about this? Prophet said, yes. You emerge from your homes hungry, and Allah will return you to your homes full. You will be questioned by Allah. Water from Allah and a single morsel of food demands our gratitude. And if we focus on the good and disregard the bad, we can be more grateful to Allah. And that's... So this is how it's related to Surah Al-Takathur. And finally, how is it related to Surah Al-Ma'un? I'll summarize with this and end. If we look at the whole surah, Allah speaks of the war horses who are so self-sacrificing in the love and the service of their human master for having given the horse grass and water. Why is man in contrast to this? Despite all the favors of Allah, so ungrateful to Allah, one of the reasons is his love of wealth. And his love of wealth is intemperate. It's excessive, it's intense. It makes him forget everything and everything, everyone else. It makes him corrupt and it blinds him to the reality of life, to the reality of the hereafter. And he makes him ungrateful. This is one of the reasons for his ingratitude. And then Allah ends the surah by reminding us that man should remind himself constantly of the day of reckoning of the hereafter and of accountability. If there is no fear of Allah, and if there is no accountability, then man will be like this. And that was the whole theme of Surah Al-Ma'un. أَرَأَيْتَ الَّذِي يُكَذِّبُ بِالدِّينِ فَذَلِكَ الَّذِي يَدُعُ الْيَتِيمِ وَلَا يَحُدُّ عَلَى طُعَامِ الْمِسْكِينِ Allah says, have you not seen one who rejects the religion? And what was religion? Biddin means... Reckoning, accountability in the hereafter. That's meaning of deen. Not so much religion in general, but the reckoning and accountability. Have you seen one who rejects the reckoning, who rejects accountability? He is the one who will violently push away the orphan. And nor will he encourage others to feed the poor and the needy. And then the surah ends with those who withhold even the most bare essentials from the people. That's how niggardly and stingy they become. What was the whole theme of the surah? Very simple. The theme was just one, which is that when man is not, when man does not fear accountability, when man does not feel responsible for his or her deeds, when man feels that there is no one to answer to, and there will be no reckoning. And no accountability. Man has no boundaries and no limits. 
Man will become corrupt and violent. Man will sink to the lowest of the low. And this is why Allah says here also, that why doesn't man think ahead of that accountability on the day of judgment? And what kind of reckoning will it be on the day of judgment? Not only will be the inhabitants of the graves extracted, but the secrets of the hearts will be extracted. Allah is well aware of what people will do on that day. So the theme of this surah is also, be accountable to Allah Azza wa Jal. Think about the hereafter. Ponder and reflect on the purpose of life. Where we are heading, our destiny and our destination. If man is not, if man will be heedless of the hereafter, man will not feel any accountability, then man will be exceeding and intense and intemperate and imbalanced in his love of wealth and the dunya. His love of wealth will make him ungrateful. And how ungrateful will man become that he will sink even lower than the level of the animals? The animals will be better than him. That even the horses in war will be willing to die and sacrifice their lives and themselves for the love and the gratitude of one master rider who gave them grass and water. And yet man, with all the blessings and the favors of Allah, is ungrateful to Allah Azza wa In this surah, who comes out better, the horse or man? The beast or man? Man will sink lower than the level of the animals and the beasts if man is ungrateful to Allah. If man does not fear accountability. And if man remains intense in his love for Allah. But if man can overcome, if man can overcome the love of wealth, if man can learn to be grateful to Allah, as he should, and if man can fear accountability on the day of reckoning and prepare oneself for that meeting with Allah, then man can rise well above the animals. In fact, man can rise to the heights. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand the words of this surah. May Allah make us amongst those who are grateful, who are preparing for the hereafter. May Allah make us amongst those who are not overwhelmed and overcome and defeated by the love of wealth. وصلى الله وسلم على عبده ورسول نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد الله إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك Before I end, let me just go through one of the a quick translation of the surah just to recap. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says by the panting charges those who ignite sparks of fire those who suddenly attack in the morning and thereby throw up dust, and thereby penetrate the multitude. Indeed, man is extremely ungrateful to his Lord. And indeed, he is a witness over this against himself. And indeed, he is, in the love of wealth, intense. Does he not realize that when... All that is in the graves will be scattered. And when that which is in the bosoms, the hearts will be extracted. Aye, does he not realize what will happen to him then? 
in rabbahum bihim yawma idhin khabir indeed his lord is well indeed their lord is well aware and knowing of them on that day wa sallallahu sallam ala abdihi wa rasulihi nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in this lecture was delivered by sheikh abu yusuf riyadul haq and has been brought to you by alkotha productions for additional lectures and products please visit www.akstore.com we can also be contacted by phone on 0044121771377 or by email via sales@akstore.com produced under license by alkotha productions all rights reserved for alkotha productions and the author any unauthorized distribution broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright